You're listening to the Keep Optimizing Podcast to increase your traffic, improve your conversion rates, and grow your profits. Hello and welcome. If you are looking to improve the performance and return on investment of your marketing, then you have come to the right place. I'm Chloe Thomas, the host of this Marketing Focus podcast, and it's super cool to have you tuning in. In today's episode, I'm talking to Lucy about customer personas, because this month we're all about improving your conversion rates. Yes, you we usually talk about how to get traffic to your site, but if your site and the content you're putting in your marketing isn't encouraging people to buy in the right way, you're not going to get very far. So in today's episode, you're going to learn how to work out what your customer persona is and how to use it to massively increase those sales. We're just about to meet today's guest, but before we do, please do check out the sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 38,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact lists and emails that pop and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit klaviyo.com slash masterplan to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. Today, I'm chatting with e-commerce expert Lucy Bloomfield. Lucy grew her own e-commerce business to over 10,000 customers in just 18 months, and she now helps other retailers around the world replicate her success. I caught up with her over the summer, and we were talking about what's currently working for her clients, and she was raving about customer personas. So I knew I had to get her on the show to share it with you guys too. Hello, Lucy. Hey, thank you for having me. Oh, it's always good to chat with you. You always bring so much, so much value to the audience. So um, when you, like I said, when you mentioned personas, had to have you on. So <laughs> how, because personas is such, such kind of a, an ethereal subject, let's say. How did you end up getting into personas in a way that's driven such results for, for you and for your clients? I got into it by not having a very successful product business basically is like the short story or the short answer. And the long answer is, is that with my first product business, there was a good chunk of time where we just really weren't getting results. Um, and it didn't seem to matter what strategy or offer or channel we used, everything just completely flopped over. And it wasn't until we got really, really serious about defining the customer. And I know everyone says define your customer, but to the level that we did, that things started to really change. Um, and we built a, a really successful product business. So that's how I got into it. Need, basically. <laughs> how yeah. do I make this work? Yeah, <laughs> desperation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's often the best way to get into something because then you you have to make it work, don't you? And you, you have to fight, you know, you are desperately looking for that thing. So customer personas. Um, some people call them avatars, some people call them personas, some people call them kind of ideal clients. What what are we what are you talking about when you say customer personas? What is a customer persona? Okay, so um basically niche or a customer profile which tells you what is the customer on a, I guess I have a really specific way of thinking about that. Um most people will go, oh yeah, age, gender, location, interests, and that's about it. Um, and so 
that's not enough, not even slightly enough. The way that I think about customer personas is kind of like an iceberg. So you have your information on the surface or what someone would appear to be in a bar or what they would tell you they are in a bar. And then you also have the ice underneath the surface, which is what's really going on for that person. The stuff that happens in their bathroom with a closed door and that you want to bring these two together into the customer persona so that you can build the right value and use the persona really effectively in everything that you do online. So I I like that analogy of kind of like the things you first find out about someone you meet in the bar is the bit above the water and then there's everything else underneath. But and you said about what happens behind the closed bathroom door. So is the is the ice under the water? Is that the things we don't want anyone that you know the customers don't want anyone to know about themselves, or is it just the stuff which you don't realise at first glance? Is it a mix of the the hidden and the not yet revealed? I suppose. Um. I think it's, it's, yeah, to an extent, most people don't want people to know that they're vulnerable human beings that have insecurities and flaws and everything for sure. And then I also think there's a level of understanding that most companies don't bring to their customers. And it's this depth that really allows businesses that do go down into that part of the iceberg um, to really connect with the customer, right? Because one of the examples that I use on my sales calls is, um, it, let's just say you had a physical store as a, as a product business or, um, anyone selling anything online, basically. Um, what would be the first thing that you would do when someone comes into your store before you say anything to them? You'd say hello. You love when I come on your show, don't you? Cause I always yeah, ask I was, questions. Yeah. I was just like, <laughs> oh, she's actually asking me a question. Oh no. Brain is going to have to engage here. Okay. So the first thing you do when someone comes into your store, I would say, hello, how are you? Or possibly hello, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. And what would you do before you said that? Oh, see, you make me work hard. Um, I do. <laughs> I'd probably walk towards them, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And while you're walking towards them, what are you doing? Probably smiling or hopefully smiling. Hopefully it's been a good day and I'm smiling. Mm-hmm. And is there anything else that you would be doing while you're walking towards them? Making eye contact. Mm-hmm. And when you make eye contact, is there like any process going on inside your head? Well, at that point, you're definitely trying to work out whether they want you to say hello or whether they're doing that whole, oh, dear God, leave me alone look. Totally. Right. So there's an assessment process when we meet someone in our store, if we had a physical store, because the the process is we um, objectively, we read their energy and we go, okay, is she angry and doesn't want me anywhere near her? Are her kids screaming? Has she had enough? Or is she really happy and vibrant and open to being connected with first and foremost. Then the next thing we do, which is not um, completely conscious, is we make an assessment of the person. What clothes are they wearing? How well presented are they? How how well dressed are they? Do they look tired? Um, those things happen automatically. And we as salespeople or the person in the store adjust ourselves based on what we see, Right. Because if she was angry, you'd be like, hey, from the other side of the store. And if she was open, you'd probably walk up and compliment her on her handbag or whatever. When do we get that opportunity online? 
we tend to just go in straight with the, would you like to buy something? <laughs> not even the hello, not even the sense checking. Yeah. Yeah. It's just great. Have a discount, buy something. Yeah. Totally. And so what happens is if we, let's just say three people come to your site right now, when do you get the opportunity to reposition yourself based on that person? Do you change the whole site for each client that comes? Yeah, we talk we talk a lot about kind of on-site personalization, but that tends to be about which product they see, which tends to be, especially for a first-time visitor, tends to be the product they're most likely to buy because it's based on that and everyone else's data, not on that person's data. So, so we don't really reassess until we know an awful lot more about them and quite possibly until they've actually bought something. That's right. And we don't go, Oh, Sally is a single mom and she's come to my site. And, um, Belinda is not a single mom and she's come to my site and she has hubby's credit card, whereas Sally doesn't. So we don't adjust ourselves based on who's coming to the site. And the reality is we can't, and maybe we shouldn't even do that. But most people go into online flying blind. All they say is 35 to 45 year old woman interested in skincare. That doesn't tell you anything about the person that's coming to the site. It doesn't tell you about what they experience, why they're buying skincare to start with. So the customer personas play a really, really important part. Even from you're talking about personalization, what about in the way that you build value? Because that's very different for someone who's single versus someone who's married. And you don't know that unless you have a customer persona that's done properly. Exactly. And just to, let's just, um, just so in case the, the listeners aren't quite fully grasping this, can we just explore that how we position value differently for a single person versus a, a, a someone who's married with children? You want to do an example? Yeah, let's do an example. So a, a bottle of shampoo, how do we position the value to a single person versus someone who's who's married with kids? This is the mistake that everyone makes, right? Because what everyone does is they go, oh, well, I might want to sell to both of them. So how would you do them separately? And it's like, no, 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 no. You're jumping to the second step in the process, which is how you build value. First, you need to decide who you're going to sell to. So how we build the customer persona is more important than how we build value for that customer right now. Does that make sense? That does make sense. So then let's flip to how do we build the customer persona then? Good question. (laughs) (laughs) I I can pick Um, up on the clues sometimes, Lucy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's run an experiment. So, um, or an example. So people listening can get an understanding of like how I typically do this. So we've got our two layers and I usually start with the surface level stuff because it's so easy to throw out the demographic information of someone you might want to sell to, right? So um, if you had to choose a 10-year age range to focus on, what would you choose? Let's go 25 to 35. Mm-hmm. Men or women? Let's go women. Single or married? Single. Single. Um, where does she fall in the company hierarchy that she works for? Uh, marketing exec level, trying to become marketing manager level. So still fairly early on in the career. Right. Okay. So this question is really, really important, right? Because everyone is always 
always goes, oh, what's your customer's job? It's actually not about her job. It's not about the industry. It's about the hierarchy in the company that she falls into because someone who is entry level versus middle management thinks very differently to even someone who is a CEO, right? So we know she's kind of in that middle area at the moment. How much money does she make? Say 20 to 25K UK. So that would be what, about 40 to 50 US and Australia? Mm-hmm. Roughly. Cool. Um, that's a really good start. So using this information and people use just this information all the time, you can find her pretty much anywhere on the internet, but where people go wrong is you don't talk to this woman about her demographics to sell her skincare, for example. Like you don't go, are you a marketing, um, are you a marketing assistant who's looking to be a marketing manager and you'd like to impress your boss with good skincare? Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that's me. (laughs) You understand me so well. (laughs) So the, the hierarchy tells us how she thinks the money, the yearly salary tells us what kind of budget she's going to be working with, but we still don't know why she would buy what would drive her. So one of the best ways that I find to get this information out is to use the, um, if we, if we asked this person where she is heading in the next three years, what would she say? Okay. She would say, um, she's working towards that promotion, which we've already discussed. She is looking for more stability, less party, keeping it quite generic because that, that these days that can mean all kinds of different things, which that's, that might possibly mean, um, getting on the housing ladder, or it might mean, um, renting with a, with one friend rather than renting with 20 friends. Uh, I exaggerate. Um, it might mean settling down and getting married, but it's that, that shift from youth to maturity. Totally. So this is a really good opportunity to touch on where most people go wrong with this stuff. So we, the way that I think about this, this next part is basically every single question that I've asked Chloe and for everyone listening that I've basically asked you about your business and what you're selling, you, a question is a fork in the road. So you have a choice and you choose whichever path you think will be most successful for your business. Yeah. Now, the problem that people make with personas is they get to a fork in the road and they don't make the decision. So kind of like Chloe, what you just did there, you're like, she could be this or she could be this or she could be this. Anytime there is ambiguity in the customer persona, it doesn't work as well. So which one is it? (laughs) Okay, let's go for the one who is looking to get on the housing ladder. Interesting. Okay. So this choice is really interesting, right? Because basically what you've told me is that she's pretty early in her career. She wants more and she's looking at getting into the housing market over getting into a really serious relationship. What does this tell us about her? She's looking for things which she can be in control of. She's more interested in things which she has control over rather than things which are subject to other people. 
Yeah. And she's quite ambitious, right? She's looking to set herself up, which means her values in comparison to someone who values um, getting into a long-term relationship and starting a family and doing that whole journey. Not to say that she won't eventually, but that's not where she's at in the next three years of her life. They are very different to that person over there who wants to start the family. She prides herself basically on being able to make really good, smart decisions. She wants to invest. She wants to grow. She wants to scale that ladder. So if we look at the thing to remember with customer personas is while that aspirational stuff is really, really, really important, equally as important and necessary in the sales process is understanding what ultimately she's terrified of. So if we flip to that, right, and we go, okay, park the aspirational stuff for a second and we look at if you and I were a fly on her wall at like 2 a.m. the morning, what would she be tossing and turning about? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to say tossing and turning about being seen as a failure by other people. Mm, That's a good one. What would it mean if she was? What what kind of story and meaning has she attached to that if that were true? I'm thinking of someone who is um, overly hung up on the opinions of other people, which I guess is probably the driver behind wanting to get the house and get on the housing ladder and be ambitious and all the rest of it. But it means there's a crushing lack of self-confidence at the, at the centre of it all. 100%, right? So much like the reason why I like to wear very expensive clothes. I want people to know that I feel successful and that I feel rich and that I feel like I've done a really good job and I want them to be able to see that visually, right? So 100% if she's ambitious, driven, um, looking at investing, there is an under, there is almost always an unrelenting, um, underlying um premise that this person has, which psychologists call unrelenting standards. And the very basis of unrelenting standards is that you're just not good enough. Nothing you do is good enough. So reach the next standard. And then you hit that goal and then the next one and then the next one and the next one. And I'm sure everyone listening can relate to how exhausting that is. (laughs) Oh yeah. Right. So she's on that journey for sure. Now the question becomes, We've got this amazing customer persona and this is where you're, okay, so how do we actually sell to her comes into play. Mm-hmm. Why do you think she buys skincare? Oh, okay. So I, I reckon she buys skincare because she knows or she believes that her outside appearance is something which other people are judging her on. Therefore, it's got to be good. And secondly, because she believes that the skincare is going to give her the control over her own face as such, um, which will give her one less thing to worry about. For sure. And I think there actually might be one layer underneath that still. So when we dig down into this stuff, the important thing when you're doing this at home is not to accept the first answer because it's never the first answer. So, so you're getting, letting me get away lightly here then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You. So the important thing is to throw the first answer out and then to go underneath it. So when she stands in front of the mirror in the mornings 
and she's getting ready for work and she's thinking about, you know, the stuff that's happening at work, whether she's going to, you know, whether Brienne is going to stop being so rude to her, her manager, um, and whether she's really going to get that promotion. What is she using? Like, what is the skincare a part of? I guess it's part of putting all her armor on ready for the day. It's part of her routine, part of her armor. Yeah. Yep. Totally. And so it really becomes about the reason why people buy products is because they want to be more of something, which is why it's so important to understand the aspiration of the customer over the next three years. Because if you can show her how your product can be used to help her become more of who she wants to be, of course she's going to buy it. Yeah, because why wouldn't she? It gives her everything she's looking for. That's exactly right. Like I am, skincare is just a random example, right? And I am into skincare. And I can tell you right now, I don't need anyone to tell me that I look good if I do my skincare in the morning because I spent half an hour looking at myself in the mirror, wiping creams into my face and feeling really nice, right? And skincare is just a really broad example, right? It doesn't matter whether you sell fashion or shoes or um, lingerie or um, supplements or food or whatever. You have to understand that the person buying the product gets immense value from it because it helps them be what they feel they're not. It fills a void almost always. So finding out what that void is is incredibly important because that's how you build value for the customer. And I suppose that that bit, the I guess putting it very simply, and feel free to tell me if I've got this completely off the ball. But the the bit which is underneath the iceberg is about how we uh, is primarily about how we sell the value, how we write our copy, how we write our ads, the images we choose for the ads, the product imagery we take, everything that sit that visually sits that people see that people read. Whereas the bit on top of the iceberg is more about how we tar- which audiences we choose to target. Yep. A hundred percent. You got it right. Surface level information, where she is, um, underlying information, like below the surface, how we talk to her about what's going on. Yeah. You got it. Because there's those two battles, aren't there? There's with any marketing that we do and with the website is, is what information we put in front of them to get them to buy, but also what targeting we do in the first place, which if you don't get the targeting right, then you're just you're just wasting money. Yeah, correct. And I think there's like there's a lot of argument about, you know, at the moment having really broad targeting and having really narrow targeting and having really short form copy that everyone can get behind and having really long form copy. And both of those things work, you know, as well as each other in my experience. But the if the goal is to just sell a bunch of crap online, then cool, do whatever. But if you're looking to build life-changing value for people where they can see how your product fits into their lives and helps them be more of who they want to be, and you need to deliver that in long form copy and a website that talks to them exactly to them about what's going on in their lives, then why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, because then you're building, if you give value to the customer, you're building a longer term business with repeat orders and, 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 and it's, you know, as I said, this, this part of the, this, this month on the podcast is all about improving our conversion rates and the targeting is the easy bit to get right. 
all the content and the messaging and the value building to increase those conversion rates, to increase the, you know, the click throughs from the ads, this ad spent, you know, cost per acquisition reduction and all of that, that comes down to this more difficult bit to do underneath the iceberg. Yeah. And it is really hard, right? Because like using that retail store versus online store example, we don't get to stand in the shop and figure out who these people are. We have to do it from behind a screen. And so one of the things that I always tell my clients when I'm teaching them the CRO stuff is some of my best ideas for projects that I'm working on that aren't doing that well, where the conversion rate sucks and it needs a lot of work is I just get away from my computer and I go for a long walk or I sit in nature and I just think about this person and go, what's really going on? Like, why is she not buying? Why is he not buying? And then I take that, those breakthroughs back and I change the entire site and it almost always fixes the problem. You say, you know, you go for the walk and you, you know, you think about the customer and we've just done an example. We've just, you know, just picked stuff out of my head, um, which obviously is slightly harder than if you, you know, if you know what product you're trying to sell and you've got some idea of who you're creating it for. But is, is there, are there data sources we should be looking at to try and ident- understand the customer more? Or is it more about that intrinsic you know, the getting to understand your own customers, dealing with them day to day and dealing with their customer service queries and that side of things. Should we, should we dive into the data or do we, is this just what we learn as someone working at an e-commerce store? Um, I think there's, there's merit for both. I think if you're, you're listening to this and you're at the start of your journey and you don't have a lot of customer data, the best thing that you can do is think deeply about this person. And if you're further along in the journey, it's still good to think deeply, but there's so much data for you to draw on that it it would be crazy to not make use of it. Um, So I think both have their value for sure. And are there any particular data sources for that person who's been up and running for a while they should look at? Are we talking Google Analytics interest lists or are we talking Facebook ad data or, you know, literally doing a word cloud of your customer inquiries? Mm. So that's a really good question. Um, So there are a couple of different things that I personally really like and always do um, no matter the size of the company. So I will take a selection of customers that I want to sell more to. So say, for example, you're a business who's making a transition into selling more high-end things and you want to try and find people who spend more money with you, right? (laughs) Um, So I would take a selection of the people who had spent the most money with me in the last 90 days And I would do two things. Um, The first thing that I would do is find them on Facebook and go through their profile and their interests. Wow. That's, that's in depth. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's really manual and it takes up a lot of time, but it's worth it. Um, because you can, you can find a lot of themes, um, but not necessarily specific interests, although sometimes. So for example, one of my clients, um, was moving over to selling more high-end things. And she went, she did this exact exercise. And what she found was that all of these customers were into artisan things like gourmet food, artisan products, that type of thing. And that made a lot of sense. So we're like, okay, great. Google, let's like follow that strategy. Um, the other thing, and I'm, you know, some people have, um, a tendency to not want to do this work because it's, um, involving real people, but I usually get on the phone with people like at least once a month because you can learn so much from tone, from enunciation, from 
accent, from everything. And the best insights that I've ever gotten into customers have always been through phone conversations. Yeah. And and I know a lot of people get scared of it, but actually uh, if you, you might get a couple of people going, no, I don't want to talk to you. No, I don't want to talk to you. But the person who does will be so excited to speak to you and so want to give you their feedback that it actually turns into a really joyous experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. you know, and of course, I guess if you're scared, you can always email say 10 and say, who would be up for having a conversation with me on Thursday afternoon? If you, you know, if you're scared of the phone being hung up on you, then, you know, a quick email will remove that fear. Um, totally. I mean, I always do that anyway, because it's not like an e-com business, um, really operates getting on the phone. Like it would be different if consulting and service business um, where your clients sort of expect that high touch, but e-com is a bit different. So I always send an email asking for permission and being like, hey, we're an early stage business or hey, this is the CEO. People love getting an email from the CEO and being like, I would love to chat to you Um, or someone who appears to be high up in a company because they feel so flattered that someone would be so interested in them. Such a cheap thing to do and so powerful. Yeah, completely unscalable, but that's kind of not the point, right? Like you don't need to have a hundred conversations to learn something. Um, I remember one time with my first skincare company, I got on the phone with this lady and, um, obviously no judgment from me before I say this, but she was clearly someone who had an alcohol problem. Um, and I was like, huh, that's, that's really interesting. Like I hadn't even considered that, that, I would be looking at people who have trauma and who have addictions and things like that. And so that kind of spurred um, where we later went with the brand because it was like these people, they're really struggling. Some of them are really struggling. They're either below the poverty line or if they're not, they, they have some serious problems and they've had some really tough situations in their life. And this skincare is the thing that helps them take care of themselves once a week. Which is completely not the thing you'd realise if you weren't having that conversation with the customers. But Lucy, we've talked about the levels of customer persona, so our iceberg. We've talked about that process of asking the questions and digging deeper to work out who they are and to really understand that niche. And we talked about some of the great tactics for getting the data and exploring our actual customers. Now, the question I've got written down here is, what do we do with it once we know? Which I'm pretty certain your answer is going to be, put it everywhere. So I'm going to rephrase the question I've got written down. And I'm going to ask you, obviously, we should be putting this 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 information, this insight everywhere to improve those conversion rates across the site, across the marketing. That takes quite a bit of time to do it from Facebook ad right the way through to post-purchase follow-up. So where should we start implementing it to see if we've actually understood it right and to see if we've actually written the right thing to make the difference? That's a really good question. So if you want to test out this more, this deeper, bigger value build strategy, then I would say that the best way to test it with a current side that's working like pretty well, see what happens with ads. Um, Particularly, I'm thinking about Facebook ads because you can actually write long form copy and so when you sit down and, and think about this customer that you guys have done the work on after listening to this episode, um, think about what breakthrough they need to have and then use the copy to give them that breakthrough so that by the time they get to the end of that post, they can see that if they want to stop having this problem 
and get the the pleasure and the benefit that you've talked about and that they really want for themselves, then your product is the natural solution for that. And you will know that you are hitting the mark and this is going to freak everyone out. You will know you are hitting the mark when people get angry with you. Really angry. Scary, but true. <laughs> yeah, because, and this is what brands shy away from. When you do a, a proper value build, there is always going to be a bunch of people that get super, super, super triggered by you talking to them about their pain and what they wish they had instead. And some people use that trigger as a positive action and go, holy crap, this company is right. I need to do something about this. And some people will not, and they will attack you. And if they do that and you objection handle those comments really effectively, the people who respond to triggers positively will buy. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? Great marketing. If you want to really appeal to someone, you're going to really annoy someone else. That's the, you know, because you, otherwise you're just not not getting it right. Okay, cool. Well, Lucy, thank you so much for uh, for taking us through all that on personas. I think, I really hope, I'm sure it has made a big difference to a lot of those um, who are listening. We're going to pause now for a reminder of our sponsors, and then we're going to talk about the wider world of improving your conversion rates. It's safe to say that most of us have been doing more shopping online lately. And if you're an e-commerce brand, that means you might be seeing more first-time customers. But once they've made that first purchase, how do you keep them coming back? Well, that's what Klaviyo is for. Klaviyo is the ultimate email and SMS marketing platform for e-commerce brands. It gives you the tools to build your contact lists, send memorable emails, automate key messages and more way, way more. Whether you're launching a new business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo can help you get growing faster and it's free to get started. Visit klaviyo.com slash masterplan to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. Okay, Lucy, so far we've gone deep into customer personas. Now you get to wow us with your insider knowledge about the whole of improving your conversion rates. So the following questions, your answers can be anything to do with improving your conversion rates or e-commerce in general, let's be honest, um, which of course does include customer personas. So Lucy, you ready for these? Yes. Cool. Let's start with improving all your conversion rates, newbie advice. If we've inspired someone to take their first step with improving their conversion rates today, um, what do they need to know to give themselves the best chance of success? That your best changes are not going to come from sitting in front of the computer and wondering why it's not working. I always say this to my clients who are right at the start of the journey, get off your computer and go out and think about the customer come back, make some changes, get off the computer again. Because staring at the data, especially when you don't have a lot of data, staring and staring and staring and staring isn't going to solve the problem. You need to go away and think really deeply about this person and why they're not buying. This is a question that I'm always asking myself when I'm right at the start of an e-com business or a product business. I'm like, why is this customer not buying? Like she's getting to the site and then she's going, no, because X. What's the reason? And then once I choose one, and here's the secret, you just got to choose something as quickly as possible. Then I make the changes around that and see if it works and do that again and again and again. Yeah. Because let's be honest, it's not just, you don't just come across that one thing straight off, do you? It's endless testing. <laughs> endless. 
endless testing. Okay, once uh, once you've started, of course, you've got to keep optimizing. So, what's your favorite way to improve conversion rate performance? Oh, favorite way to improve. Um, I think to an certain extent, and there might be some people who like really disagree with this, but I think getting your site to a certain point um, is really pretty much all you need to do. So what I mean by that is you can be a you can work really, really hard on your site and your CRO across everything, across your advertising and, and post-customer journey as well. Um, and get your company up to 20, 30 grand a month. And then what I typically find with my clients is that they go, they can stay with that site from 20, 30 grand a month all the way up to 100 grand a month before they then need to seriously start thinking about it again. So uh, I guess for, for the way to think about it or the way that I think about it as ongoing improvement, you want to think about your CRO and stages. The first stage is just trying to get it to work at some level of volume. And then the next stage is actually putting enough volume through. And then once you have a significant enough volume of orders every single month, that's when it gets really interesting because you can start looking at broadening that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense because often people just get, they get like tunnel focused on perfecting the website and forget that there's a lot more to their business than just the website. And if you get it to, you know, there's a certain level, you, like you said, you get it to and it's working pretty well, go off and work on some other things because that's where the growth is going to come to. Because the marketing improvements, they never end. The website improvements, they never end either. The back end improvements, the product improvements, none of it ever ends. And if you, it's a bit like the, um, if you think of a stool with a, with its legs, if you make one of the legs really, really long, then the stool will fall over. So you have to kind of raise all those bits together. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally like that. Cool. Okay. It's impossible to improve our marketing unless we're monitoring the performance, but the list of stuff we could monitor can be, is quite frankly, overwhelming. So what for you, Lucy, is the number one conversion rates KPI? Add to cart. Aha. Rather than actual checkout. Yeah. Because the thing is, it's difficult to get, it's not, okay. It's difficult, quotation marks, to get a conversion. Two to 3% is the most that you will ever get. Whereas getting someone to the site and getting them to add to cart is a lot easier. And I find once someone's in that system or that part of the funnel, getting them from add to cart to conversion is less difficult than getting someone to add to cart. And so one of the the key metrics that most of my clients spend solving is how to get more people adding to cart. Because you can also then do a bunch of retargeting and do some really cool stuff with that. Um, but I think add to cart is a, is a grossly undervalued metric as far as getting people through your funnel. I like it. Very, very clever. Okay. Crystal ball time. What's coming up in the ne- next even six to 12 months that we should be getting ready for to improve our conversion rates? Oh boy, this is going to kill everyone. So, um, Apple, I don't know if any of your guests have talked about this for the other episodes for this month, um, but Apple has been doing some really awesome stuff, obviously, with the inquiry that's going on in the US. And great from a consumer's perspective, really awesome company looking at protecting consumers' privacy. Terrible, terrible, terrible changes for e-com businesses. So 
in Q4 of this year, Apple is going to roll out a change that basically you have to opt in to share your data with Facebook, Instagram, those types of apps. So what does this mean? Basically, if you sell to anyone who is somewhat smart, you're about to lose their data. Nice. Mm. So sure, a significant portion of people will um, click allow. You know, it's like when you install Facebook and you immediately click allow notifications. I know a ton of people do that. But there's also going to be a significant percentage of people who say no. And so that's going to pose a huge problem for people um, in the next six months. So we've just got to, I guess, how we deal with that is we just keep an eye on what impact that's having on our ads because that's where the the big impact is, isn't it? Is where it's what it's going to do to our audiences and our ad performance. Oh, I think like you need to be ahead of that more than anything because you need to have contingency plans in place. Because let's just say, let's just say worst case scenario, and it might even be worse than this. I don't know because I'm just predicting um, 50% of your Facebook ads revenue or Google ads revenue or pretty much anything revenue from a, from a platform is gone. What do you need to do right now to start mitigating that? Because there's a bunch of strategies that you could put in place to get off those platforms and do more with like emails or SMS or whatever. But I think if you sit around and wait for that, like I wouldn't want 50% of my monthly revenue to disappear. Me neither. So so time time to diversify, which means it's a really good time to be listening to the Keep Optimizing Marketing podcast where we share exactly. all these other marketing methods with you. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> couldn't resist the plug there, everybody. Cool. Lucy, thank you so much. I'm sure we're all going to be um, learning a lot more about that Apple. Good change for consumers, let's be honest, but interesting challenge for, the, for those of us who are doing the marketing um, over the next couple of months. So thank you for the heads up on that one. Um, right, Lucy, we are very nearly at the end of the show. So could you please let the listeners know where they can find you and your business on the web and social media, please? Yeah, totally. So um, if you're interested in finding out more about what I do, um, my name is Lucy Bloomfield, like Bloomingfield of Flowers. And um, I'm pretty much all over the internet. My company's called 10,000 Customers. You'll find me ranting and raving about things that go wrong in half a million dollar plus businesses, the mistakes that people make, um, what you need to do instead, and some of the some of the biggest challenges that these businesses will have. So if you search either my name or my company's name, you'll find us. Excellent. Well, look, Lucy, thank you so much for being on the Keep Optimizing podcast today. It's always awesome catching up with you. And somehow I always forget that you make me work when we do these interviews. It always comes as a shock. Um, I really must put a note next to your name on my podcast list. Makes you work, beware. Um, but thank you so much for sharing so much. I know the audience will have found it incredibly useful. So, um, So thank you. Thank you. So customer personas, take the time, work them out, try them out, tweak them and then use them everywhere. It's like rocket fuel to everything else that you're doing. You can get the links to everything that Lucy recommended and everything we discussed today, plus the full transcript of the episode, important notes and more at keepoptimizing.com. That's with an S not a Z. And as part of my mission to help you improve your marketing, I've invited all our improve your conversion rate specialists to join us for a Q&A webinar at the end of the month. That's your chance to get your questions answered. So get yourself registered to the webinar. And even if we've gone past the webinar date, 
get yourself signed, get yourself to the keepoptimizing.com website where you can both sign up. And if this has already happened, talking to you from the future now or the past, I don't know, whichever one it is, but whatever way you want to engage with a webinar, whether you want to watch the replay or you want to get there for the live version, then head to keepoptimizing.com to get access to all of it. And thank you for tuning into this episode of the Keep Optimizing podcast. If you've enjoyed the episode, then make sure you check out episode number two, which is all about preference centers. Um, Because once you understand your personas, preference centers are a great way to take it to another level. And please do tell your fellow marketers about the show as well, because the whole point of putting this together and putting it out there for you to listen to is because I want to help as many marketers as possible to improve the performance of their marketing. So have a great week spread the word and make sure you tune in next week for the next episode so as I can help you to keep optimizing your marketing. Access everything Keep Optimizing at keepoptimizing.com. That's with an S, not a Z.